going to be in uh, John chapter 1. As you uh, read concerning the birth of Christ, incarnation into the world, in Matthew and Luke we have lots of lots of information. We have a decree from Caesar Augustus that made uh, Mary and Joseph leave Nazareth and go down to Bethlehem, which was their house of David and both Mary and Joseph were of the lineage of David. The virgin birth is uh, talked about. The manger in Bethlehem, the shepherds who watch over their flock by night. And uh, we could have talked about they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger and how the Shepherds would have immediately known what that was about and where that was at because uh, swaddling clothes have to do with the shepherds. Uh, when a, a lamb was born, there was a certain flock that was used to, for sacrifices, and when a lamb was born and he was, it was of a good quality, they would uh, wrap him up so he wouldn't harm himself until he developed his muscles more because they're trying to save him for a sacrifice. And here, a baby wrapped in cloth that is used to wrap sacrifices in. And then the visit of the Magi. But when we come to the book of John, which is primarily the gospel concerning the deity of Christ, <clears throat> We find the birth, uh, reference to his birth, only in one verse, and that's in verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course, if you know John, uh, that term word uh, takes us back to the first verses of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so what he's talking about in verse 14 is that this one made flesh. It wasn't his beginning. He was in the beginning. He never had a beginning, but he's in the beginning, he's already there. And that the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we clearly see here it's talking about Jesus and him becoming a man. I think we need to uh, talk a little bit about uh, this, this, term, uh, this term word. In the Greek language, it is the word logos. And, uh, of course, when the Bible was first, uh, the New Testament was written, 
in the Greek language. And uh, Koine Greek, the common language of the people. And it's really quite, uh, quite evident how God works here because the Greek language is really very specific in their tenses and, uh, and uh, it's probably one of the greatest languages of, that's ever been put into alphabet that could bring us the story of Christ. But the Greeks, when they used the term logos, it was a translated word, but translated speech. It's a principle or a thought. Uh, it's a concept of universal reason. It's a universal law. And I think that the best way to describe how the Greeks understood Lagos is to go back to Star Wars. And they say, may the force be with you. And so when they understood Lagos, the force, it wasn't really a person, but there was a force there, you know. And somehow this force is working through men and creation and, and he's kind of impersonal. Uh, and, and they desire that that force would be with you. And that was their concept of the word, word. The word logos is translated word here. But when we come to John chapter 1 and verse 14, we understand that logos, the force, is much more than some impersonal thing, some power. But it is God himself. It is Jesus Christ himself. That he is the reason for all of it, that he's behind all of it, that he is a personal being, that, it, that the force is not something that we can't know personally. And so when he comes into the world, this one, and, and it's really quite amazing to think the one who merely spoke the world into existence, that we can know him personally, that we can have an acquaintance with him, that one day we'll... In my Father's house are many mansions, and not so I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be there also. That we're going to experience not a force, but we're going to experience a person in Jesus Christ. And that's very, very unique how John describes the birth of Christ, the word was made flesh. Matthew, in his first chapter, uh, describes it quite different, and Matthew emphasizes that he's the king, and, and the angel said, and she shall bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for it is he who shall save his people from their sins. And uh, he uh, uh, it goes on and says, Behold, a virgin shall be a child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. And so the word became flesh. Now, what is the significance of that? Well, the infinite, the one who 
has no restrictions. God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all of those omnipotent words, omniscience and omnipotence and everywhere present. And there's no, when you think about God, there's no restrictions, absolutely no restrictions, except uh, he cannot lie, he cannot sin. His nature wouldn't allow that. But the infinite becomes finite. The omnipotent, the all-powerful one is stumbling on the road to Calvary. The one who said to let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so cries out from the cross, I thirst. The God limited himself while mankind seeks honor and glory in the word being made flesh. Philippians said he made himself of no reputation while man wants to be exalted and served. We find the 24 elders in the book of Revelation saying that thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And that, uh, that he didn't come to be served, but he come to serve. And uh, I think that, I think at times we resist um, thinking about really how great God is and how great when he humbled himself and took upon himself a form of a man and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, that we don't stay there very long because it's unnerving. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, troubling. It, it uh, causes us to be put in our place. Now, I want you to note the first phrase here, and the word was made flesh. The word, the logos, was made, made flesh. And that's important to, to understand exactly what he's getting at. It doesn't mean that God dwelt in a man. God didn't come down and somehow inhabit a man. But God became a man. He became flesh. That he uh, became what he was not before. And in becoming flesh, he also had a soul. 
The man is comprised, according to Thessalonians, of a body and a soul and a spirit. And so the soul is where we have a sense of right and wrong. The soul, our emotions come from that. And uh, the soul either accuses us or excuses us. And uh, Jesus was uh, touched with our infirmities. And he was tempted, the Bible says he was tempted in all points. That, he, that his soul was as a man, but without sin. In John 12, it says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came unto this hour. In Matthew 26, it says, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And later he said, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And so there's something very important about that. Because it does say that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so he's able to, he's able to comfort us. He's able to deal with us. He's able to help us. And when it says that he was tempted in all points... What it, what it is getting at is that, like, uh, let, me, let me kind of uh, put it in the illustration of shock. When our body has received trauma, every person has a, has a place in the, uh, a place of uh, pain to where they'll eventually go into shock. Some can take more. Uh, more intense trauma than others, and some less. And so when it comes to, it comes to our lives spiritually, the Bible thankfully says that God will not tempt us above what we're able. And so God's not going to put anything into our life that we can't say no to, that we can't, aren't able to overcome that. But when it says that Christ was tempted in all points as we are, if we had a degree of temptation like we would have a degree of shock, that every man has a place where, every, guy has a, every person has a place where he can't resist that temptation anymore. And he's going to succumb to it. And God says, I'm not going to bring you to that point. I'm not going to allow that to happen. But with Jesus Christ... The nth degree of temptation upon his soul was exercised against him, and he was without sin. And so, and we'll look at this a little bit further, what that means to us. But we're saying that when he became flesh, what we need to understand, and, and it's, a, it's a mystery, and we'll see a verse that says that. But what we need to understand is that 
that Jesus Christ was 100% man. He's not living within a man, dwelling within a man, but he's, he is exactly like us. He put his shoes on exactly like everybody else did. In all points, tempted. He hungered. He thirsted. He wept. He rejoiced. When he became flesh, we we must not, of course, think that it was a sinful body, because uh, he was born of a virgin. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Well, Jesus, there wasn't a problem between his flesh and his spirit. He didn't inherit the sinful nature of man. And we talked about that and at length when we talked about, gave two lessons on the virgin birth and how that, that there was no part of Joseph in the creation, in the, in the being of Jesus. And actually there was no part of Mary either. Mary would have inherited just through the process of life defects. But what was put within him in Mary was uh, a seed that was God himself, a holy thing. And, sh and she, she gave him life. And we talked about how that no blood from the mother passes to the child, but it comes to the placenta and the nutrients and the food to help the baby grow pass through to placenta. And actually the baby can have a different blood type than the mother. And so there is no sinful blood ever connected with Jesus Christ. He became a man and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews says, as a man, he was holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter, oh, let's see, I don't, 1 Timothy, I didn't put the chapter on here, I got the verse, so maybe we'll find it. First Timothy three sixteen, and without controversy, without discussion, without debating, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the spirit, manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up into glory. And so one side of him, we have deity, 
And on the other side, we have that humanity where it says he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. And so the understanding is that he's 100% man, but he's also 100% God. Old Testament prophecies, uh, Genesis 3.15, the seed of a woman. In Deuteronomy 18 and 18, it, it talks about a prophet like unto Moses in reference to Jesus. In 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel, we have the, the, uh, his lineage coming from David. Look over with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. We'll get a little more into it here later about exactly what all this means for us. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. And I'm emphasizing here that he had a, he had a body. A body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he says, Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I am come to do thy will. He taketh away the first, that he might establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ for all. And so it wasn't some spirit within a man, but he had a body. Now, um, oh, there we go. I wonder what happened. <laughs> okay, now, why did he become a man? And what is that? And what are the benefits for you and I? And what do we have to look forward to in him becoming a man? First of all. A body that was prepared him, number one, to die for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. That God had a standard to pay uh, for sin. If you look, um, Look in, uh, here in Hebrews. I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling around here. In chapter 9 and verse 26. For then he must have... Okay, let's go back for uh, verse 25. For yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entering into the holy place every year with the blood of others. And so it says that Jesus died once and uh, the shedding of, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 
It's found there in verse 22. And, but Jesus' offering was once and for all. For then must he offered for them must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it's important unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto that look for him shall be appeared the second time without sin unto salvation. And what I'm seeing, what I'm trying to point out here is that this verse directly says to us that he died uh, for the sins of other people. Uh, Mark says, for even the Son of Man came not to minister, but uh, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Philippians says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took on him the form of a servant, as made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so there has to be um, a body that dies for sin, and it had to be, it had to be human. Because, because angels can't die for man's sin. <laughs> it, had to be, it had to be sinless. I preached in prison uh, on Thursday, and we preached uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And there's something in that chapter that's um, that is um, horrific if you don't understand this concept that we're, I'm trying to get across here. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says, "All we like sheep have gone astray, and so man has a sin problem." God, God wants, to, God wants to forgive. God wants fellowship. God loves the world. But also God is holy. He will not overlook sin. And so God, in a sense, has a dilemma. He wants to salvage man. He wants to rescue man. He wants the Bible term, he wants to save man. But he's not going to say, oh, that's okay what you did. We'll just move on. We'll try to do better. The wages of sin is death and every sin must be paid for. And so we have some words in that Isaiah 53 that are stand out. It says that he was pleased to bruise him. 
that God the Father was pleased to bruise God the Son. That he shall, that he shall God the Father shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And I presented to the prisoners, what kind of God is that? Who would be pleased to, to be behind the suffering of the cross when his son cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What kind of God is that that sees the travail of his soul and should be satisfied? And you see, really, Isaiah 53 really gets a, boils it right down to the point and 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 what's happening, it seems like in uh, many places today, is that the Jews are seeing Isaiah chapter 53 and they can't make an, they can't excuse it away. They want to say that it is Israel that's suffering, that Israel suffered, and that it wasn't a man. And sometimes they want to say, well, it could have been Jeremiah or Isaiah that is talking about. No, when you read the whole wording, you can't, it won't, you can't jam it into that. And so he had to die so we could be forgiven. That's why the Lord was pleased. He was pleased because he could forgive Gene Humphrey because the payment had been made for my sin. It says, as a lamb led before his sheep is, uh, for the slaughter and a, and a sheep before its shears is dumb, uh, meaning death and dumb, that he didn't cry out and uh, talk to the prisoners how that in Eastern Oregon, when I grew up, when when my uncles, my great uncles, had flocks of sheep, and the shearers would come through once a year, and they would run them through there, and they they'd turn them up on their rear end, and they begin to shear the fleece off of them, and sometimes even in the fold or the skin of the hind leg, uh, the shearers would. You know, they'd make money by how many sheep they could shear so they're not messing around. And sometimes they would clip, clip that and they'd be bleeding. And then the sheep would just lay there and say nothing, <laughs> wouldn't cry out, wouldn't squeak. They'd go get their dental floss and their needle and they'd show, sew it up and turn it back up and kick it out. And, and, I, and I, say, I would say, you know, if I could have been there and see the Lord, I'd say, Why? Why don't you defend yourself? If you could have called 12 legions of angels and say, why don't you do that? And he'd have to turn to me and say, because uh, I'm not dying for myself, I'm dying for you. And you have no excuse. And you're guilty. Well, that's what this part, that's why he had to become a man. A man had to die for a man. And so why did he become human? Well, one of the reasons to die for sin. The second reason is that if you're in, maybe you're still in Hebrews, but if you go to chapter 4, in Hebrews chapter 4, Secondly, he came uh, to be a faithful high priest. 
faithful high priest. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, we, we didn't read that verse before, we talked about it, but in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so here I am. I've lost my job. My wife has died. And I'm being treated for cancer. And my friends have left me. And as I go over to Chris and I say, Chris, help me. Help me. I'm going through some pretty bad stuff. I just got fired. Susie died yesterday. Report comes back from the doctors that I have cancer. Help me, Chris. And he says, I'll pray for you. I'll, I feel for you, but I'm just a man. I'm just a man. I can't help you. And then here's God that God has never been married, so he's never lost his wife. God can't get cancer. God doesn't need a job. God's never hungered. He said if he had need, he wouldn't ask of us because he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And I have to say, well, <laughs> how could God understand what I'm going through? But Jesus became a man. And he knows what you're going through. But he don't have to say like Chris said, I can't help you. He's also God. That's one of the great glories of him becoming a man. Not only can he help us, but he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Now just think about that. The God in the form of Jesus Christ, he's touched, he's moved. He cares. His heart is stirred. He pities us. What a savior. What a great thing that Jesus became a man. And thirdly, thirdly, he became a man 
to as a as a to as a as a man to rule on David's throne. and over the world. Think about all the history of the kings and uh, Nebuchadnezzar, kings up at our time, the kings of England. But there's one coming back who's going to be king of kings and lord of lords as a man reigning on the throne of Israel and over the world. Look in Romans chapter 8. In verse 17, uh, uh, well, in verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth with is our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, we may also we may be also glorified with Him. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly, but reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen, hope that is seen is not hope. But what a man seeth, what doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. And why I read that verse is just to say that that uh, that we groan that this world is fallen that uh, after snowblown my yard and my, my parking lot that at 73 I go in the house and I'm groaning. <laughs> this whole world's groaning. But Jesus coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and we're going to be heirs and joint heirs with him. A real king, a real person 100% God and 100% man. There's coming a day when the wolf is going to lie down with the lamb. 
There's coming a day when we will no longer struggle with sin because our king reigns. What was lost in Eden will be regained in a paradise. And the Bible says that one day this earth is going to be covered with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters that cover the sea. Now go back with me to uh, our text in John 117, 114, I'm sorry. And it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means he tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He made his abode with us. He's our dwelling place. A place of peace. A place of forgiveness. He will dwell among us. Sinful, fallen creatures. And God is not ashamed to call us his children. He dwelt among us. He lives among us. He doesn't live in the ritzy part of town. If you tried to somehow meet Joe Biden today, get an appointment with him, you'd probably be uh, denied. But Jesus is going to live among us. And because he's God, he'll have time for each of us. And then it says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth. Isaiah says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when he, we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus, you know, he didn't, this pictures that you see of him, and everybody's wearing common colored clothes, and Jesus is wearing his white robe, and there's a little halo above him. That didn't happen. In fact, there was no, no uh, beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men and a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet, one day, we will 
see him in his glorified state. And on the day that we were born again, we got a glimpse of his glory. That he could make something that deserved hell into a child of God. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And so Jesus' birth was mentioned in one verse in John. The word, this force, the power behind everything, the force be with you. In reality, he's the person, the person of Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven to be born a man, but not giving up his deity. He gave up some of his, what, what did God really, he said, uh, he said, restore unto me, he said, restore unto me uh, in a prayer to God, you know, the, the, the condition that I had with you before I came to earth, and, and that's misquoting it, and not even quoting it, but, but uh, what did he lose? What did God? What did Jesus give up when he became a man? Well, he, he he still had his omniscience because he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. He knew what was going to happen. He's still all powerful because he could still the waves. So he didn't give up that. He did give up the use of it at, at all times. But what what did he give up? Well, he says, restore unto me the glory that I had with you. When Jesus became a man, he put aside his glory for a while, but when he comes back, he's going to have it it's displayed again. And so, not only did he die for our sins, but this, this, always, this is always humbling to me, that, that I have no excuse for and being in the mully grubs or saying I can't do it, or nobody, nobody understands. Nobody understands. No, he understands. And he says, cast all your care upon me, for I care for you. And he, and he not only cares, but he helps. He provides what we need. And then what we have to look forward to is this very baby that was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, is coming again. And we'll see him with our own eyes. And he's going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? The birth of Christ in one verse. All right. You're dismissed.